Good and a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day's going well. Going to be a great, great show today. Rob Bluey, my friend and colleague from the great uh, area of Washington, D.C., will be with me uh, in just a second. And then Richard Barr is going to come on the program in the second half of this hour. He is a personal friend of George Floyd, knew George, and uh, did some ministry with him. And uh, he will be joining me as well. That's going to be hour one. And hour two, Bob Moeller is going to be joining me, and you know him. He is a regular guest on the show. We're going to be talking about relationships in these challenging times. That's all ahead. But uh, for now, let's uh, bring on Rob Louie. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal and my very favorite guest on Tuesday. Rob, welcome. It's great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Are you, uh, are you out of the office today? The home office. <laughs> yes, That's I, what I meant. The home I, office. I, I'm uh, I'm out of the home office, yes, not back in the office. Uh, the mayor of Washington has partially reopened the city. Okay. Uh, of course, we can we can talk about the, the protest. That's that's quite another matter. But, uh, but yeah, it's the Heritage Foundation, where the Daily Signal is housed, is, is not yet allowed to open. We're not considered an essential business. So like so many other Americans, we're still doing our best uh, as we can to, uh, to, to work from home or remotely, wherever we can make that connection. Yeah. So much has happened in the last week since I've talked to you. I don't even know what question to ask you first. Well, you so know, just start I, talking. I will tell you, I, I will tell <laughs> you that, uh, that there's a couple big things going on. Obviously, we're paying very close attention to uh, the George Floyd uh, demonstrations, which uh, have really of course. Uh, dominated, the, dominated the news cycle. Bill, I will tell as somebody who studied and followed the media for a long time, I didn't really think that there was anything that would knock the coronavirus uh, off of the front page. Right. Uh, but this has. And uh, a new report out uh, this morning from Axios shows that uh, the, the coverage of coronavirus has dropped uh, to, to a point, uh, you know, probably uh, we haven't seen it since early March or February. Uh, this, uh, this George Floyd story is, is what everybody is talking about. And I think there's uh, a number of reasons for that. And uh, I, look, even in my own personal life, I know as, uh, members of my parish and other parishes that are doing a virtual service uh, spent an hour talking about this on Sunday. So it's on the minds of a lot of Americans. They're looking for answers. They're looking for ways that they can uh, maybe take action in their own lives or, or lives of others. And, uh, and it's, it's a worthwhile conversation. Um, so we can talk about that. We also had our, uh, our, our latest uh, coronavirus commission meeting today. Oh, awesome. Uh, so we can't. We can't forget about that as well. Uh, we, we are still still met with uh, COVID-19, and we, we certainly don't want to um, pretend it's gone all of a sudden. No, it, clearly it's not. So maybe we start with um, what's going on in our country right now relative to the George Floyd case and uh, the possible designating Antifa as a domestic terror organization. That's right. Uh, so President Trump has announced that uh, he wants to make Antifa this, uh, give them this designation, which, uh, you know, is uh, an interesting approach. Uh, certainly it uh, will allow uh, a number of different law enforcement uh, organizations to, you know, take action and better coordinate, pool their resources and, and hopefully crack down on some of the illegal behavior that's taking place. Um, you know, th- there are already a number of laws on the books that, uh, that, that, that our police and, and prosecutors can use uh, to crack down on this, uh, this behavior. And, uh, and, and I think what's so, so upsetting uh, to me personally and to others who are, are closely following this is that there are, are a number of people who want to peacefully demonstrate and exercise their First Amendment right to do so, to call out racism and to make their voice heard. 
And then there are those who are, I would describe as opportunists. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are some of those who are doing it for political purposes. There are the, some of those who truly uh, despise and, and, and dislike our country and, uh, and our, our form of government or our economic system, and they're using this as an opportunity. And then there are those who are just uh, frustrated and, and taking out their rage. And so I think we, um, we need to do our best to encourage people to get back to a position where uh, they can have a conversation and a dialogue and not resort to violence. Violence is very, very hurtful and harmful, not only to those who it's uh, perpetrated against, but even to those who, who take those, uh, those actions because they could find themselves in a situation uh, that they will long regret. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, if the government does uh, designate Antifa as a domestic terror organization, how will that affect uh, federal law enforcement? Yeah, so one of the things that it importantly does is it allows those law enforcement agencies uh, to better uh, pool their resources and uh, and basically coordinate, uh, because that, by that doing that designation, it, it certainly puts uh, into perspective a, a much stronger classification of Antifa. The challenge with Antifa, though, Bill, and I have to be, be honest with you, is Antifa, I've heard somebody describe it, they're kind of like, a nationwide network of loosely organized groups. It's not like, um, you know, a, a, a formal organization that, that meets on, you know, the second Tuesday of the month or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is a, a group of, of individuals who are a loose-knit collection, uh, you know, who, who have a purpose, which is to be disruptive and, uh, and, and really to terrorize others. And so I think that I, I certainly support the, the government's efforts to step up its, uh, its it's, uh, you know, attempts to crack down on what Antifa is doing, but I'm under no illusion that it's going to be difficult. Uh, this is a group that often operates in secret, uh, wears black masks, and, uh, and tries to hide their identity. So uh, certainly challenges will, uh, will exist to, to doing this. Um, but, you know, we have, to, we have to take action. It's probably long overdue, Bill. Yeah. So, Rob, how are you and your colleagues at The Daily Signal, you know, processing th- these news stories? I watched some news last night and saw some footage that I, I, I can't imagine seeing in my life. And I saw it and I, now I can't unsee it. It's very tough. And, and uh, yeah, for your listeners, I mean, I, I've, I've certainly read stories uh, as well myself about, um, you know, what, what it does to our, our mind to watch that type of footage. And uh, certainly, um, you know, it, it's a challenge. I, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, uh, a very interesting piece by, that I read by a Morgan State uh, journalism professor that uh, the, the news media tends to, it, when, when we have cases of riots and looting, to focus on the worst of the behavior. Um, you know, uh, there's the old saying in the news business, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, I think, part of what we're seeing as we're, we're seeing some of the most extreme examples, because that's what makes for the best television. Uh, but we, um, we, we also have to, to recognize that there are some good acts that are still taking place. And we've tried to do our part as a responsible news organization of the Daily Signal to tell those stories uh, where people are coming together, where, where you know, people who believe in, uh, in, in Jesus' message are, are demonstrating that and the actions that they're taking to help their neighbors and, and others who you know, have maybe uh, suffered at the hands of, of the rioting that's taken place. So, so, Bill, I think that news organizations do play an important role in this. And, uh, and as uh, as we've so often heard with, uh, with the coronavirus, uh, sometimes it might be best uh, to, to walk away and, and limit your news consumption uh, at, at a period of time. Otherwise, uh, it'll contribute to your, you know, your mental health uh, and other issues that, uh, 
that we certainly don't want Americans suffering from. Yeah, exactly, Rob. But some of the stories have been so inspirational and joyful to see what happened even on Sunday here in Minneapolis when there was a, a call for uh, groceries and people that needed uh, diapers and things that they normally could get at stores that they simply couldn't anymore. And I heard and saw a lineup of cars. I don't know how long it was, but they got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bags of food and boxes stacked a mile high when it came to just supplies for people in need. And everyone was out with a broom sweeping up glass, picking up garbage. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Isn't it amazing how, how sometimes these situations lead to, to beautiful acts like that? Indeed. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's truly inspiring. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that I, as an editor, have really, uh, you know, encouraged our reporters to, to do is to look for those good deeds. Um, and we try to showcase them on the Daily Signal. Um, there's another story of a, of a, a young person who just, just is in high school um, who's in, a, in the Georgia area who, uh, you know, has organized one of these GoFundMe efforts to help those businesses in the Atlanta area that have, um, that have been vandalized. And, uh, and it's just amazing to see the, the tens of thousands of dollars that people are willing to, uh, to, to show, uh, put, put forward. And uh, in some cases for people that they, they don't know or have never met. Um, and so, yes, it's, uh, it's truly inspiring. And I think that that's one of the ways that for those who don't want to protest and, and, maybe want to take a different course of action. This is certainly one of the ways that they can channel their energy. Yeah, Rob, one of your colleagues, Virginia Allen, wrote a good piece on it's time for an honest conversation about race in America. That's right. Uh, she interviewed Sophia Nelson. Uh, Sophia Nelson is, uh, is a, a political commentator and author, uh, somebody we've had on the Daily Signal podcast in the past. And Sophia wrote a very provocative post on Facebook um, that uh, they really caught my attention. And the Daily Signal uh, over the weekend did a story where we interviewed black leaders about what they think should happen next. And Sophia was one of them. And Sophia really, uh, I think, challenges, uh, you know, some of those, some of us who are white uh, to really think about, uh, you know, what a difference we can make and, uh, and how our behavior, um, you know, uh, really is, uh, is part of the solution here. And so, we want to be solution-oriented, action-oriented. Uh, Kay James, uh, who is a, a you know, strong uh, black uh, conservative leader uh, who is the president of the Heritage Foundation, uh, you know, she helped desegregate her, her school in the 1950s. Uh, she was a civil rights leader in the 1960s. Uh, you know, she is somebody who is an inspiration to me and who's really helped me better understand uh, the day-to-day challenges that, that others in our country face, uh, that she as a, as a black mother has faced, uh, and, and the concern she, she has for her two sons. Uh, those are things that, that I think uh, some of us might not necessarily realize. That's okay. I mean, I, I think that we all have an opportunity to improve and, and live better lives, and particularly those of us who are parents, to uh, set a positive example and teach our kids right from wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you think what's uh, happening right now will produce uh, better results going forward? Well, it, I, I, I'm an optimist, Bill, so oh, good. I, I hope so. <laughs> you know that about me. I know that about you. I, 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 I certainly hope so. I yeah. think that there are are definitely uh, challenges. There, there are leadership challenges. Uh, there are, we, we are still a politically polarized nation, so there are those who 
uh, for as long as Donald Trump is president, are, 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 are you know, simply not going to, to do anything uh, constructive. And then there are those who may throw up their hands because they don't they disagree with their governor or their mayor or somebody who's leading their community. And I think that it's important at a time like this uh, to hopefully set aside some of those differences. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I was really I was encouraged by two things I read yesterday. One of them was by Barack Obama, and one of them was the speech I heard from, from Donald Trump. Uh, two different messages, but two important messages. And what I liked about what President Obama was saying is that really this starts at the local level. If you want to make a difference, you have to do it at the local level. Gee, that sounds like a conservative message from President sure Obama. Yeah. I was surprised to, to hear it. And, uh, and the second thing is uh, when Donald Trump talked about the importance of, you know, the rule of law in our country and, and encouraging people to respect others and to really honor George, George Floyd's memory. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, let's let's forget about some of those labels and let's do our best uh, to treat our, our fellow citizens uh, humanely. And uh and, and hopefully we can come together and work toward a better better path for the future. Mm-hmm. We'll take a little break. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. You can bet we'll be right back. And that walk-up music belongs to Rob Bluey. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. And Rob, right before we went to break, were a couple of things I wanted to cover. One was what was going on at the Coronavirus Commission meeting, which I believe was today. That's right, Bill. We did have our uh, most recent meeting today. This was the fifth meeting of the commission. Again, for your listeners who who heard me talk about it before, it's 17 different experts who've come together, a really fantastic group of people. Um, one of the things that, that we started the meeting today is we said, maybe we should convert the commission when, when we issue our final report on the coronavirus recovery. Maybe we should keep the same group of people and have them uh, do a commission on on some of the the racial issues that our country is facing right now. It's um, it's not necessarily a, a bad idea uh, to have a group of people who come from diverse backgrounds and experiences uh, talk about this. And I think that that's what this experience with the coronavirus commission has really uh, enlightened me about. You have so many different experts who, whether they come from the medical profession or whether they're business owners, are uh, bringing their ideas together. We've put out 264 recommendations. Uh, we are making sure that we're tidying up the, the, the final pieces right now and getting that report uh, in the hands of President Trump and the 50 governors, uh, making sure local leaders uh, see it as well, and importantly, Bill, uh, civil society. Uh, the Reverend Samuel Rodriguez is one of the members of the commission, and he's talked uh, to us about the impact on, on churches and the faith community. It's really uh, been wonderful to have his voice as part of the conversation. And so uh, today's meeting was really an opportunity for the commissioners to talk about uh, the areas that they would like to see things go next. And uh, and that's something we're going to work on. We recognize that this is, uh, this is not going away. We don't have a vaccine. And right. even when we get a vaccine, we're still going to have to take care. Yeah. Rob, can you give us a couple of highlights from the meeting? Well, well, certainly, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, so we have uh, we have members of the uh, commission who are uh, are doctors, and I think one of the things that, or doctors are work in the medical profession, and and one of the things that I heard one of the commissioners say who works um, uh, with cancer patients is 
uh, this was really hard because I've had people in my family who've uh, who, who've died from cancer. And he said that uh, when when they, we went on the lockdown, a lot of cancer patients stopped getting their treatments mm-hmm. and uh, stopped making the visits. And he said, as a result of that, uh, you know, there are there are big consequences um, when you don't have the chemotherapy and radiation and those other things that are really helping you hopefully bounce back and uh, and, and prevent that cancer from spreading. So uh, that was hard to hear because I know that the real lives are impacted. That's why one of the commission's big recommendations was to reopen uh, medical facilities, doctors' offices, dental offices, because we know that that preventative care and those treatments that uh, that Americans are getting are really critical to keeping them healthy. Um, so that was a big topic, uh, just making sure that we could do that. Another big thing that we talked about today was uh, the challenge we heard from a, a restaurateur, a small business owner, who, who talked about the challenges and the red tape and regulations that uh, he is facing as he's trying to reopen. Uh, he says he'll get through one government agency, and then he finds another government agency throwing up a red flag and not letting him uh, restart his business. Uh, so that was that was difficult to hear. Uh, you know, everybody knows that we're in phase one, or or maybe some states are are even farther along. But uh, you know, there are some places that are still really struggling uh, to make it and survive, and that's impacting employees all across this country. That is so interesting. Um, the restaurant and hospitality industry is it's going to. I'm be very curious to see how that emerges. It, it's going to be a, a challenge. You, you, you bet. I mean, we're in the we're in summer, um, so you know there, we're we're in the season when people are taking vacations, mm-hmm. and they're either uh, maybe some people going to the beach, or and obviously we've got big amusement parks that are still closed. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a challenging time for them, no doubt. And I think that the the one thing I keep hearing from the economists, uh, and I, I I trust them on this that. Our economy, the underlying economy was strong when this happened. And so it's different from what it was like 10 years ago when we had the recession. Uh, my hope is that we can move swiftly and, and, and a bill, as we've talked about before, empower local leaders on a county by county basis to start making some of these decisions uh, that we know that the government that's closest to you is the government that works best. Um, so one of the things that we'll be issuing later this week is a map that grades each of the states on five key recommendations from the commission. I had an early preview of it, and I have to say that so far it's looking pretty good. There are uh, about 34 states that are doing exactly what I said, letting counties reopen. Uh, there are seven states, though, um, that, that aren't quite there yet. And that's, uh, that's disappointing because I think we need to be in a position where uh, not every decision is made out of the state capital, but a lot of those decisions are, are more locally focused. Mm-hmm. When you hear about restaurants reopening but at 25% capacity, uh, do you know what is going to happen in terms of travel or events or conferences when where thousands of people gather for to hear speakers and corporate events and things like that? Sure. I mean, it's a decision that, that's impacting us at the Heritage oh, Foundation. We had to be. cancel t- two, two major conferences, one mm-hmm. that was going to take place in, uh, in April, another in, in May. We have, an, we have a, one of our biggest events of the year taking place in December, and we're already talking about what it is that uh, that might look like. Uh, the D.C. mayor has been one of those who's been quite restrictive in terms of reopening. So having an event in Washington, D.C., where you have a large number of people is, is just not going to be practical. Uh, one of the things 
things we did successfully last week, and I think uh, maybe other organizations, other nonprofits uh, could, could try this model as well, is, um, is have a virtual event. We had some great speakers. We had Marsha Blackburn, the senator from Tennessee, and we also had Senator Rick Scott from Florida. We had a, a, a two cabinet secretaries. Uh, so people are engaging. They're staying engaged. They're, they're craving the content. Uh, they just are consuming it differently instead of doing it in person. You know, it's uh, it's a matter of doing so in front of your computer screen. Yeah, and I start to see people are longing for personal connection too. I mean, they love their families and everything else, and they love their neighborhoods, but they're really looking forward to getting back into the routine of life, which can be extremely enjoyable for most people. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right about that. Look, as as somebody who has you know two kids, uh, two boys, and and a, and a girl who's who's just starting to crawl. But Sweet. <laughs> she's she's not as she's not as mobile as the other two. I can tell you that they uh, they're craving that. So we've tried to do some things on our own. Uh, we've been ta- I've been taking them golfing on the weekend, which uh, is uh, you know a sport that seems relatively safe. Um, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a challenge. Sports are a challenge, especially for those young kids who, who want to get out there and play. Uh, you know, parents are faced with that decision. Do you let them go play with a friend at the park or is it still too soon to do that? Um, we haven't seen my parents, uh, you know, since December Oh wow! and that's tough. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're talking about, a, a making a visit. Uh, my wife's parents live locally, so we've been able to see them, but, uh, you know, to take a, a seven hour car trip, uh, and then, and then actually stay in somebody's house is quite different <laughs> than a quick visit to, to the in-laws. So, so Bill, uh, we're craving that, that normalcy, uh, as much as you are. And to think that you haven't seen your folks since December, I'm sure you're doing all the FaceTime stuff, but it's not like, you know, them being around your kids and, and I mean, they're, they want to see their grandkids too. We, we FaceTime with, uh, with them almost mm-hmm. every day. Uh, my kids love doing that. They, uh, they, they really enjoy the opportunity to talk to, to grandma and pa, but uh, it's not, not quite the same as being there in person. So we, we look forward, hopefully, school uh, runs for about another week and a half. And so maybe when, when school, virtual schooling is over, we'll, um, we'll see if we can get everybody together. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's a challenge. And, uh, and, and my hopes and prayers are that we can be in a situation when, when kids in particular are getting ready to go back to school in August, uh, where we can have a system where they are actually in the classroom, because I think it's going to start impacting their learning long term if, uh, if they're not able to be in a setting like that. Yeah. Rob, I hate to do this to you with just a minute to go, but I'd love for you to comment on Jarrett Stepman's article on protecting our health while preserving our civil liberties. Yeah, no. Well, well, as you know, from having Jarrett on the program, uh, he is a very thoughtful uh, yes, contributor he is. to the to the daily daily signals. So, um, yeah, no, this is uh, this is one of those things that uh, you know we we need to we need to really cherish our civil liberties right now. And this is so important. I mean, our, we, our constitution hasn't gone anywhere. And, uh, and what Jared is, is doing is looking at some of the, the actions that government officials have taken. Maybe they've overstepped some of their bounds um, in terms of cracking down. And, and Jared points out some of those examples. Uh, and uh, I think that it's, it's really critical that, that Americans remember, Bill, um, what it is that we value. And that's that freedom and liberty. And we mm-hmm. always have to cherish that. Yeah, Rob, thank you so much for doing the show. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Head over to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break. When we come back, Richard Barr will be joining me, a personal friend of George Floyd.
Welcome back to the show. It's so glad to have Richard Barr back as my guest. Richard's got a ministry to the homeless. Uh, you can head over to Threshold, the number two, newlife.org. And he uh, was a friend of George Floyd and did uh, some work with him and had an opportunity to interface with him and get to know him a little bit and pray with him and, and uh, share their heart for people who are lost, uh, homeless, disenfranchised. And Richard's my guest this afternoon. Richard, welcome. Thanks for having me back on again, Bill. Yeah, I would imagine when you meet a guy like George Floyd, you kind of remember him instantly when you're a six, six, six towering guy. Um, he was a remarkable presence. <laughs> no doubt about it. When I uh, when I first walked in the building, I, I, I think I told the accountant the editorial that I wrote, but um, the very first time that I met him, you know, I saw him and he was new and, you know, this big guy and... Um, was uh, working on extracting this inebriated guy out of the building. And um, he was actually, he didn't ever put his hands on him, but he was kind of intimidating the guy a bit to try to get him out. And I tell you what, these security guards that work at these homeless shelters, I Mm -hmm. mean, God needs to bless each one of them. That is such a difficult job. They don't make hardly any money. And you've got a whole bunch of guests in a place that really don't want to be there. So it can be volatile. And I'm when I spend my evenings in a shelter. A lot of times, I mean, I, I or there are times where I end up being kind of a peacemaker, where I help try to simmer situations down. But in that case, I just kind of stood aside and I just watched the encounter. And that was where I saw Floyd kind of glance over at me a couple of times when he was dealing with this guy. And um, what I don't talk about in the editorial that I wrote was that. After he got the guy out of the building, he marched back inside, walked right past me into a dark cafeteria, and he sat down. And so I followed him in. I'd never met him. I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was new. And um, and he was bawling. Mm. He was in tears. He was crying. And I sat down, and I put my arm around him. I said, hey, man, what's up? You know, what's going on? And he's like, his he was his heart was broken. He was like, man, I... I, I I, he said, I was too hard on that guy. I did the wrong thing. I mean, I've had trouble like this guy's had trouble before. I'm no better than him. He's like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? He said, I saw you looking at me. And he said, I, I knew instantly that I was doing the wrong thing. I was, you know. And by the time I left that evening, he had gone outside, picked all of the guy's stuff up, put it back in his duffel bag. And he was sitting on the curb with this guy with his arm around his shoulder. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Well, you talk about a guy yeah. who feels instant conviction and then goes and does the right thing. He did indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did indeed. Yeah, and yeah, and that was that was how we met. That was the first time that we we met each other. And after after you have a moment like that together, I mean, you kind of have you kind of develop a bond. You know? Yeah, it is kind of a bonding moment. So he was working security at the uh, Salvation Army Harbor Lights. He was. Yeah. Yeah. I think if my memory's right. I think he he did that for about a year. Hmm. And uh, it sounds like he, when you would see him down there, he was uh, very personable and was uh, always uh, had a kind word or encouragement for people and a funny story to share. So it seems like he was the kind of person that uh, made for good company down there. Yeah, he did. As a matter of fact, um, after I so I, I spent a fair amount of time with him on and off over that year that he worked there. And then after he left, we saw each other less. But there was plenty of evenings that I would go down there and he would, he would be there and he'd be you know, chatting up um, with the, the men and women that he worked with before. And he'd be talking to the guests and just kind of generally, just kind of generally hanging out, just 
he, he loved being with the people. And I, and I saw, actually, I saw a, um, uh, an article that his uh, fiance was quoted and I didn't know her, but um, it was interesting because she said very much the same thing that he just, he loved to go over there and he loved to hang out with people that were disenfranchised and that were struggling. I, I think he could relate to them because, you know, from the story that he told me, I mean, he left Houston to try to, to try to make a better life for himself. I mm-hmm. think it was kind of a, kind of a geographic cure, you know, so to speak. I mean, trying to get away from some bad element and things and get a fresh start. And uh, I see that quite a bit, you know, Minneapolis in general, now how will it be seen after these events? Who knows? But in general, there are many, many people that, that come to the Twin Cities for a better life. They, they know that they'll have support. They believe that they'll be able to find a job and they believe that they'll be able to find housing. So, yeah, Richard, did you know George to have a, a story of recovery himself? Um, yeah, yeah, and I don't happen to know whether he was working a traditional program, but um, he did share with me, uh, you know, in confidence about his struggles with, with addictions and so forth, and we we talked about those things, and that was something that we shared together, you know, was about the struggle that he had with chemicals and struggles that I did, and I... I don't know how long. I don't know what he did for recovery. I, I've heard other accounts that he had been in um, some recovery programs, but he never said that to me. But I know that the struggle with addiction was very real for him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was willing to share his hope and encouragement where he was in his recovery with others. He, yeah, he did exactly, and I, and that was, and that was on that that first evening that he and I met. That's what I think really broke him up was that. Um, he began to identify with this guy, like, you know, th- this guy, this guy is me. Mm-hmm. That's me. You know, I was, I was there, I was there at this place. And as we talked about it, I mean, we talked about other people that had shown him grace in his life, other people that gave him a break, other people that lended a helping hand. And that that was really his role as a security guard was to be that person for somebody else. And when we're, when we're in recovery, like I am, I mean, that's a big part of what the program is to, for your own self-care and self-recovery is to pay it forward by caring for other people. And we, we talked about that very thing. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, I'd love for you to tell the audience what you kind of what you know about George. Obviously, we all know he was the kind of guy if he was outside, he'd block the sun because he was so big. <laughs> but what else? Uh, what else can you tell us about him? Um. Probably just maybe just another story I can think of. And again, I think it just goes to his character. So um, I was down and I was actually on the backside of the Salvation Army and and it was dusk. This is, I'm trying to think it was last summer. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, can be a bit of a rough area, you know, and I was, I was there because I was trying to connect with somebody and I couldn't find him. So I was back there alone and there's an alleyway and I see this, this vehicle parked down at the end of this alleyway and I see this I see this uh, door open and I see these arms wave and I hear somebody shouting apparently at me and I'm like okay all right so let's see what this is all about and he comes he comes buzzing down and jumps out and uh I mean his face went up like a Christmas tree I mean that was uh even though we didn't we, I wouldn't say that we were we didn't know each other well we didn't spend holidays together but we had that kind of kinship and that kind of connection. And I think that that really comes, you know, when you identify yourself with a, a with a brother or sister in Christ and you share some intimate time together, um, 
I mean, that's why we call each other brothers and sisters, right? And right. so we were true brothers. We were true brothers. And and uh, he would light up and I would light up and he would grab me and take me off the ground, and um, you know, which isn't easy to do because he's a lot bigger than I am. But um, but again, that, that's the kind of guy that, that he really was. And so I don't have any idea what sort of other things that he might have been involved in. And um, he struggled with things. I struggle with things. You know, I mean, who doesn't? And, yeah, say more about that. Yeah, I don't know exactly where he was at in life. I mean, I've heard accounts that, you know, maybe he was in, he was under the influence of something during the course of the events and whatever. And at this point, I, you know, unless somebody reads a coroner report, I mean, I, I think that's just speculation. Even if he was, um, gosh, uh, you know, I think it's obvious that the actions that the officers took you know, there's no way to justify that right, no matter what somebody's condition is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's obvious, but, um, but I, you know, the other thing he and I talked about, talked about David, you know, in the Bible, and I mentioned that in the article too, but he really, really identified with David um, because, you know, um, I mean, big Floyd was a guy who had, you know, some success. He had some successful friends. He had some taste of some of those things. But yet he struggled, and he struggled with sin areas in his life. He struggled with addiction. He struggled with a number of different things, but yet he wanted so much um, to to love Jesus and and to experience that love and grace that um, we only find in Christ. And um, so it's this, you know, it's kind of that wrestling against the, uh, you know, against the flesh and, and, um, and he was a fighter. He, he battled against that. I know that he did. And, and, you know, I guess there are those days where we lose those battles. I still do. You know, I still I still struggle on giving to the things that 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 plague me. And um, he's no different than that. But but I know when we talked about David and we kind of unpacked who David was, Big Floyd's like, yeah, dude. He's like, that's me. That's me. I'm you know, I'm David. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What I'm impressed about your friendship and understanding of of George is that he did have a very sensitive heart. I mean, when you have an encounter with somebody and it takes you to the point where it brings you to tears because you feel like you could have handled it differently, that's a that's a guy who's really got a soft, soft heart. Yeah, he was very sensitive. And, um, I mean, it, it, it breaks my heart to think about those last moments. Mm, um, me too. And, and as he's calling out, um, you know, knowing what kind of a heart um, that Floyd had, um, how this must have been so devastating, not only frightened, terrifying, um, but just, just personally such a, um, such an attack on who he is. Cause he, he, he cause he wasn't a, a bad guy. He was a very tenderhearted guy. He was, he was easy to cry. He wasn't embarrassed mm-hmm. to do that, you know? Um, so to have somebody, um, just accost you and abuse you, I don't know. I, yeah. You can only imagine. You know, I can only imagine. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Richard Barr is my guest. He's a friend of George Floyd's, and he's got a ministry to the homeless and the disenfranchised. And his uh, website is threshold number two newlife.org. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to be having Richard Barr as my guest. He was a friend of George Floyd, and we're just learning a little bit more about the personal friendship side that they enjoyed. And did he ever tell you, Richard, about his uh, ministry life in Houston? You know what? I didn't know very much about that, to be honest with yeah. you. I did not until, yeah, until I read about some of those accounts in the paper. And, you know, and all of the things that I've read about him, I mean, none of those things surprised me. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things that I think was remarkable about Floyd was the consistency of his character. As, as, as I've read stories, um, I've been in contact with some of his extended family and, uh, and the way that they talk about him and the way that, that, um, some of the accounts have described who he was, you know, in terms of being involved in the baptisms and some of the, some of the, the music and, you know, the faith-based connections that he had. Um, his, his character was very, very consistent. And I think that that, that's probably one of the things that I, I maybe didn't know about him until mm-hmm. all of this had gone down was, was, I mean, I admire that so much. You know, I, I, I like to use the term integrated and in that as believers we're called to, to lead an integrated life, you know, that I should show up in my family. I should show up at work. I should show up with my friends and all those other groups that they would kind of be peeking into my life. They should see, they should see that consistent me. And I think that that was very, very true of Floyd was that he was a very consistent character. You hear about the stories where he was, um, you know, working security at the nightclub and about how, uh, I, I, at least the stories that I've heard, I haven't, I didn't hear them directly from Floyd, but about he never even laid a hand on anybody. I mean, it, it helped me in 6'6", I'm sure, but he would walk up and flash that big grin. You know, his, his face would light up and he'd look at people and they'd, they'd put their hands up and go, okay, all right, I get it. All right, I'm out of here. You mm-hmm. know? Um, he was just, he was a very, very gentle, kind uh, spirit. Um, and, and I think he really, he really wore his emotions on his sleeve. That was my experience. And you knew him to be a, a peace lover. So I'm curious as to your thoughts, uh, what's going on in the world right now as a result of his uh, death. Yeah, I mean, isn't it curious to speculate, you know, what Floyd would have to say about all of this going on? And um, I think there's no doubt that Floyd or, or any person that suffered any kind of oppression or discrimination very much um, desires to see us to continue to make as a society real uh, real meaningful change, and, and there's no doubt that Floyd would be fully on board with that. Um, you know, the the um, the devastation in terms of uh, damage to property or people uh, lives being in jeopardy. Um, the Floyd that I knew wouldn't have been about that. Uh, he that wouldn't be something he would support. That w- he'd be he'd be he'd be down there smiling, telling people to back off and. <laughs> <laughs> to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I saw it firsthand at Salvation Army if there would be tempers, you know, raising or whatever, and um, he'd be a guy that would step in and put his hands up and say, "Guys, are we cool? Yeah, yeah are we cool? You know." Um, and and guys, you know, would look at Floyd and say, "Yeah, we're cool." You know, um, I th- I think that's what he would be thinking if I had to guess. Yeah. So knowing him the way you knew him and his. Uh... Sounds like he had a real love for the Lord, um, struggled with addictions, but had a love for Jesus. And given the fact he's got a world audience right now, if he could have five minutes with the world, I'm guessing he might take that opportunity to share the the uh, love of Jesus with people. 
I think he would. I think he would. I, again, we can speculate, but I think he would. He would want people to 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 meet Christ the way that he met Christ. He would want people to know Christ the way that he knows Christ, and he would want us all to be able to get along and to be able to love our neighbor and to be able to 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 show that love in a meaningful, in a real way. And I think I think part of loving our neighbor is setting aside differences. You know, um, in that last book that I wrote, Bill, those people. You know, it's about the characters in there are about the homeless, but really the plot line of that whole thing is about how we all struggle with being judgmental about people that we don't know, we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, I think that that can be fundamental to being prejudiced is, is that there, there are people that we don't know and we don't understand. So we form these judgments about them and it's unfair. Yeah. I mean, whenever you sum up an entire population and give them some sort of a characteristic or a trait, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You are on thin ice all by yourself out there. And I think he would want that to be, he would want that to be different. He would want us to be paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. Richard, I could, you know, I see because I've been around homeless shelters and recovery centers quite a bit, um, volunteering throughout decades. And I realize that a presence like uh, George Floyd is um, not only super helpful, but also uh, very comforting when people are so, um, at sort of a low point in life and they feel they need protection and an advocate. And, you know, you get a guy like George who shows up, um, kind of conveys that message pretty loud and clear. Yeah. I mean, if George were at, were, uh, were escorting you into a homeless shelter or recovery center, I mean, what he would, what I saw him do and what he would attempt to do would be to help you to feel comfortable and help make you at home and help you know that you're safe and that you're right. in a safe place. And, and when you're with a guy like that, you you know you feel pretty safe. I mean, as as big as he was, mm-hmm. um, but he was, you know, hospitality would be another word. I mean, to try to help people to feel welcome. Um, I don't always see that among people that work in the shelter. Some some people, you know, and again, everybody has their bad days, but you know, they're more you know about counting the numbers and getting people signed in and and keeping the traffic moving. But he he had a genuine heart of hospitality where he wanted you to feel welcome like it was his own house yeah that's really nice he's the kind of guy that you do like having around and it's fun to have um guy like george as a friend because you know there comes a point where you're going to say hey george can you help me move that marble coffee table <laughs> with one hand i'll find <laughs> right help, i think right right <laughs> Well, I'm I'm sorry uh, about your loss and the the you know the friendship you've enjoyed with him and and the fact that you wake up one day and see him on the news and and know that his life is gone and his presence will be missed in our community for sure. Yeah, I look forward to meeting him again someday. And um you know, my my hope and my prayer is is that that as a society that we begin to wake up, you know, it's time we've had plateaus we've been able to kind of get onto as we've moved through the process of trying to make things uh, a level playing field and more equal. And it's time for us to, to move to whatever that next level is, I think, as a society. And I think we've all got to challenge ourselves for that and examine our own hearts. Mm-hmm. Richard Barr has been my guest, and one of the books he has written is called Those People, The True Character of the Homeless. You can head over to richardbarr.com. B-A-H-R, richardbar.com, and learn more about uh, his books. And he's got the article he wrote about his friend George Floyd at, at the website as well, as you can go check it out. Thanks, uh, Richard, for spending the time with me this afternoon. 
Thank you, Bill. Great to hear from you again. It is 53 minutes after the hour. We're going to have a full hour coming up uh, next hour with Bob Mueller. If you um, are in a relationship that needs forgiveness, maybe you're going to want to make sure you tune in coming up in the next hour. Also take your questions at 877-933-2484. Got an exciting uh, June giveaway. Uh, the He Reads Truth Study Bible. I'll say that again. He Reads Truth Study Bible. It's a great uh, Bible that will inspire men to spend daily time in God's Word and build even a deeper relationship. And so really, it's a great uh, Father's Day gift um, or graduation gift if you've got a man in your in your life that's uh, getting that big diploma. And we're going to give one of these Bibles away every week this month. So if you want to enter and be part of that uh, drawing, go to myfaithradio.com and also, if you are thinking about participating in the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, it's now fully online, and it's going to be uh, a wonderful mix of uh, live and pre-recorded elements. So if you are in that conference, you're going to love it because you're going to have access to all 22 breakout sessions. So it's going to be great. And we are, uh, again, reminding you that we have shifted to a new time uh, frame and Rebecca, how are you getting along in this new time frame? This is only day two. I think we're pretty good. I think we've made it so far in day two. So two whole days. We've been here on time. <laughs> <laughs> we have. We both get to sleep in an extra hour, which and, is good, right? Right. Yeah, well, speak so, for yourself. I've got kids at home. That's true. They're ready to start the day before I am. That's as soon true. as the sun is up, they're ready to go. That's true. But we love uh, we love our listeners and we love uh, you. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. And we're kind of trying to push towards the finish line in June. We've got so close to come to a, a fully funded faith radio and the generosity that has poured out of the listeners has been so humbling and so amazing. And we have been so grateful and we have prayed like crazy for all of you listeners. And we've had so much gratitude um, in our hearts for listeners. Right. And this is the opportunity that we have to finish strong. And like you said, Bill, it's it's been amazing. Just the generosity, the the giving, the over and above giving that our listeners have have poured out. It's it's truly a humbling thing to mm-hmm. be even just a part of the of what this ministry can accomplish when we're all working together. So I wholeheartedly thank each and every person that keeps Faith Radio on the air. And I know we're heading towards that that wrap up time. So this is a great time to help us finish strong if if it's been on your heart to give and it hasn't it hasn't happened yet, then we'd be happy to help you with that. We would indeed. And also if you have had a relationship that's needed healing, you know, and I think of everything we've been seeing on the news lately and our country needs healing and our cities need healing and there's so much need for healing, but even on a, on a micro level, you, maybe you are in a relationship that needs healing. I think you're going to want to definitely stick around next hour. Bob Mueller is going to be joining me and he's got a wonderful ministry helping people restore uh, their relationship. It's called four keeps ministries, forkeepsministries.com. And if you feel like you have a wounded heart, and maybe it's the woundedness in your heart that maybe never got addressed, that could be coming out in your relationship uh, today. And you're going to very much enjoy this hour coming up with Bob. So we're going to take a short break, and then when we uh, come back, uh, again, if you have questions regarding a wounded heart or a relationship that you need forgiveness in, uh, you can send me the text message anytime you want, 877-933-2484. Again, 
844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-844-